Blog Talk Radio. Funky, Funky Writer Show is now in the air. Spotlighted on BadRedheadMedia.com as the top author podcast on the web today and called a total blast of a show for writers. My name is Robert Batista, and I will navigate you through the next 30 minutes of the unadulterated funk. Connect with the show on the exciting Twitter page by going to at the Funky Rider. Now, fasten your seatbelts and let's get funky. We welcome back Mark Stevens to our show. Mark's worked in journalism, television, and education. And these days he's finding success writing mystery novels about Western Colorado. Welcome, Mark Stevens, to the Funky Rider Show. Hey, Robert. Thanks a lot for having me back. Oh, Mark, I remember you appeared on the show twice uh, and the second time on your own. So, Mark, as you know, it's been over a year since you last came on the show. Please bring our audience up to date on what you've been doing since then. Well, the last 13 months have been pretty busy. Um, The third uh, novel in my Allison Coyle mystery series uh, came out in November of 2014. That was called Trapline. Um, that was a, a mystery that kind of featured the topics of for-profit prisons and immigration in Western Colorado. It actually went on to win the 2015 uh, Best Mystery from the Colorado Book Awards, which I was thrilled about, and also won the Colorado Authors League Award for Best Genre Novel. And then in the um, in September, just uh, three months ago, the fourth book in the series uh, called Lake of Fire was published um, by Midnight Inc., my awesome publisher out of Minnesota. And, um, yeah, I've had a busy fall getting out to talk to readers and um, meet uh, readers all around Colorado, New Mexico, Wyoming a little bit, South Dakota, and um, been to a few few great conferences uh, along the road as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Wow, sounds like you've been pretty busy and doing a lot of traveling. So, Mark, you have a series of books, as you title, The Allison Coyle Mysteries, the first installment being Antler Dust, which opens with two deaths that occur within a few minutes of each other on a snowy day at the outset of elk elk hunting season. Mark, where did your female protagonist, Alison Coyle, who everyone seems to love, where did this character spring from, and why did you decide to do a book series based on her? 
Well, the answer to the first question is that she was based on a woman I met years ago up in the Flat Tops Wilderness where I um, set the books. I, uh, the character and the, the setting uh, just sort of walked into my life hand in hand. I was on a day-long horseback ride with my wife um, in the flat tops, I mean, a real dawn to dusk kind of long, long day of riding. And um, we were on a summer trip at that point and led by a woman who was uh, young, tough, enthusiastic, knowledgeable, smart, capable, um, really knew every bit of, uh, uh, you know, the cloud formation. She knew the geology of the area. She knew the every little bit about animals and the weeds and the trees and the plants and the water and everything. And I was just transfixed by her. And then it was a summer trip, but she let it uh, drop at some point during the day that she was also a hunting guide in the fall. And I just thought there is a spectacular possibility for a character, if I can do it right, to develop into a character because um, she was so against what I thought of as the stereotypical hunting guide. Um, so she's been a friend ever since. She's I've stayed in touch with her. She helps me check my stories and make sure they're accurate. Um, at least I take responsibility for any mistakes that I decided, you know, I, hopefully there are no mistakes, but she's, she helps me check them. And if I try to, you know, add a little bit of fictional flourish here and there, maybe that's just artistic license. But she's been a friend ever since. Um, I never really thought that a series would come out of this. I, I really just wrote a standalone. And But the reaction was pretty good after the first book came out in 2007, and um, I came up with an idea for number two, which was Buried by the Rhone. And two books is not a series, so I decided to keep on going, and that, that led to Trapline and then Lake of Fire, which, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I just kind of blink and can't believe that I've got a four-book series, and I'm coming down the home stretch on the first draft of number five, so we'll see. Sounds amazing, and that character you based uh, Alison Coral on sounds inspirational, uh, as you mentioned. Now, you say she was basically uh, assisted you in the first book, Antler Dust, and and making the story believable. So, are you saying that she did some of the editing uh, of Antler Dust uh, for you? No, more on the fact-checking side. Um, I have various editors who've looked at all the books before they go out, including um, two amazing editors at uh, Midnight Inc., my current publisher. But um, uh, the woman who inspired the character, I more sent her the manuscripts and have her check um, for any inaccuracies I might have uh, generated. And she'll write back and say things like, you know, magpies, which are a really amazing bird. Um, they're mostly right. a scavenger bird, but she'll say, you know, magpies don't fly at the elevation you've got them in. I might have put a magpie up high at 10,000 feet, and she'll write back and right. say, you got to change the kind of bird because that doesn't fit. Um, or she'll catch my, including a certain kind of tree at, a, at the wrong place or the wrong kind of elevation or I might reference a trail, and she'll say, you know, that trail's a little bit longer than the way you've got it. And so she she knows the flat types like the back of her hand, like I said, and she's um, pretty sharp um, about catching stuff like that. So it's great. It's a great resource to have. Yes, it's a great resource. So I'm so curious, Mark, after the birth of that first book, 
Ansela Dust and after she helped you out in, in all of that and you sent her the book, what was her first response? Well, um, I, and I need to kind of just back up just a quick thing because I don't want to. I, I really believe in being as accurate as possible. I sure. put out the first. I put out the first book, um, and it it was many years between when we first met and when it came out. Um, okay. She later she later read it, and then I, I just want to be as clear as possible. She actually started really rolling in on the second book and helping me check things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, she was very um, complimentary, and I'm. I'm just being as straightforward as I can. She really appreciated having a character developed around her, and she, she uh, at one point even a newspaper reporter up in Vail put together um, a nice feature about the fact that she inspired the character. And she is, um, you know, I mean, the character and her are two completely different people, other than the actual function and role. Right. And the, right. The, the the character in the beginning is a hunting guide, but goes on to uh, goes on to develop her own outfitting business where she is employing guides and still guiding herself. But um, that's something that the woman who inspired the character never went on to do. So um, I think she's flattered by it. Um, she's just one of the nicest people on the face of the earth, and has since gone on to become a, a well known and um, prominent veterinarian in uh, the the town of Montrose, Colorado, which is out on the western slope about an hour south of Grand Junction. And um she's just uh, she's just a great friend and a fine fine human being. So um yeah, but I mean I think it's pretty if I were in her shoes, I'd think it'd be pretty cool to have a mystery mystery series developed on the fact that you um you know, were a hunting guide in the flat tops and and uh so there. <laughs> Yes, yes, Mark. That is the ultimate, ultimate compliment, and uh, I'm <laughs> just so glad that came about. So, Mark, yeah. you then follow up this great novel with two other mystery whodunits, Buried by the Rhone and Trapline, taking Alison Coyle to new levels of crime-solving and detective work. Mark, did you already have these two stories ready after publishing Antler Dust, or did you germinate and hatch them afterwards? Yeah, there really were ideas that came uh, once I was done with each book. I really can't, I really try to focus on the moment of the book and what I'm working on. I don't try to look ahead in terms of, you know, sure. ideas or gathering ideas. So, yeah, Buried by the Own came about because um, after I was done with Antler Dust, and it, it hit the Denver Post bestseller list twice in 2007 and 2009. Wow. Yeah, and just seemed to be really getting some good attention. Um, you know, I I was reading a, a story of actually a big, long series in the Rocky Mountain News back in the day when Denver had two newspapers. And in the old newspaper, Rocky Mountain News, which has since gone defunct, um, the Rocky did a big series about all the impact of the natural gas exploration in western Colorado, which really focused on the Rhone Plateau, well, the Rhone Plateau is literally across the road from the flat tops. Um, right. And the flat tops are east of the Rhone Plateau, but there's lots of impact around the flat tops from just all the drilling and all the trucks and everything that, that's going on, and, and particularly around the water supply in the area. So I thought, you know, I should be able to figure out a way to develop a plot based on the controversy over fracking and, and all of that back in. Um, 
back in 2009, 2010. Well, Buried by the Rhone came out in 2011. Right. And um, that, so that sort of played off those themes. Um, and actually, Buried by the Rhone was a finalist for the Colorado Book, Book Award in 2012 um, and did, did real well. And like I said, I didn't really think two books was a series, but it was after I was done with Buried by the Rhone that um, I started thinking about some of the ideas around uh, for-profit prisons and immigration, which are huge issues in western Colorado, as they are around the entire country. Right. And right. Um, so I just started thinking about that third novel, um, Trapline. So, um, you know, I, I really like to have topical themes. They're, they're contemporary westerns in a way, but I like to play off of, uh, you know, ideas and things that are in the news and controversies. That's I think that's probably because I spent 20 years in the news business that I tend to think in terms of controversies that are thematic around um, current events. Well, Mark, um, uh, my hat's off to you because I'm basically the same way, you know, I handle current events, I handle controversy, and I handle things like that. <laughs> but um, some writers run from it. Um, and uh, to me, it's always inspirational to see a writer handle that. And you handle such current events and controversies, as you said, such as fracking. And one of my uh, interests are for-profit prisons. So um, what makes you just go out of your way to handle controversies and those type of subjects and not run away from it? Well, you know, I really believe that, um, first of all, these are kind of contradictory ideas. Number one is I don't like to pick up a piece of fiction and get lectured to or preached at about how I should think about the world. But I don't Understood. mind picking up a book. I don't mind picking up a book and learning something along the way. Right. And, you know, I really think that one of the things I love about Colorado and, um, you know, I think it's true anywhere, but I happen to really like um, Colorado, uh, is that things change. Um, we do change. Our society does change. We have been through many changes in, in just the 35 years I've been in Colorado around you know, something like natural gas development, you can literally see the impact on the community because you can get up high on a mountaintop and look down on the town and see what's happened. You can fly over the Rhone Plateau and see what's happened. Um, with the prison scene and what's happened with um, our whole incarceration rates across the country, um, you know, that's something that the impact is almost palpable. It's tangible. Um, as if, if folks don't know, we're the most incarceration rate, we're the most incarceration happy country in the world. There's nobody. I, I think it's about two and a half million now, uh, Mark. Yeah, I mean, we have we have five percent of the world population in the United States, which is we may think we're a huge country. We have five percent of the world population, but we have twenty five percent of all prisoners in the world. Um, so something is really out of whack in terms of how we put people away for, for minor crimes and and ruin their lives, really disrupt their lives. Um, it's just, you know, in, in many ways inhuman. And when, when that trend meets up with immigration and right. so many, so many people in this twilight zone of citizenship status 
get kind of held in these um, twilight zone worlds where they're not being prosecuted, they're not being sent out of the country, deported, they're not being let into the country. Um, I really got interested um, in that whole area, actually watching a frontline documentary called Lost in Detention from several years ago that was absolutely amazing piece of work about thousands and thousands of, of people, many thousands, tens of thousands who are just simply, um, their lives are disrupted in this in this uh, holding, holding uh, cell kind of level where they're not going one way or the other. And um, of course, around all that is this burgeoning, growing um, trend of private companies coming in to make profit off the fact that they are have contracts with the state or federal government to to run their prisons. And I think they've been throw, nicknamed prisons or us. Yeah, and if you throw, yeah, they've profit, been nicknamed prisons or us exactly. And if they're exactly. for profit, that means that what do they need? They need prisoners because <laughs> the only they way they're going to make money is by having prisoners but you know mark we could, that's another story for another day and uh let's yep. talk about back uh, to lake of fire this leads sure. us to the latest ac mystery and a book that everybody's excited about the aforementioned lake of fire a story partly inspired by true events. Mark, talk to us about how you put this fantastic tale together and how you did your work in the great Colorado mystery case that part of this book is based on. Yeah, this this story really grew out of um, my interest in a situation that happened in Cortez, Colorado in 1998. Um, and, And that became one of the largest manhunts in Colorado history when three guys uh, jumped off a stolen water truck and um, they shot and killed a Cortez police officer who pulled over the stolen water truck um, one morning in May of 1998. And, um, of course, he he just thought he was pulling over a stolen water truck. He had no idea that the guys on board were dressed in, you know, head-to-toe in assault gear, had all sorts of assault weapons, um, he and very, very tragically was killed um, very quickly in a hail of, of gunfire. Well, um, that triggered one of the largest manhunts, as I said, in Colorado history. And these three guys were chased off into the desert. Um, and, in fact, they weren't found until, in one case, many weeks later. In another case, about 15 or 16 months later. In another case, for his body wasn't found for years and years. But wow. What 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 got to me was a really amazing and wonderful book about the case by a guy named Dan Schultz, who about a year and a half ago or two years ago published a book called Dead Run, and he really went into the lives of these three guys who were um, they considered themselves sovereigns, which is they don't see themselves as belonging to society to community. They don't recognize authority. They are individuals. To themselves, and that is all they really believe in. Well, I really wanted to contrast that idea with um, what I believe is the other extreme on the other end of the spectrum is the fact that in order to solve problems in our world, we need to work together. So right. I, I thought, you know, let's contrast that notion. And so I came up with a idea for a story and um, set it against a huge wildfire. Um, outside of Meeker in the Flat Tops uh, wilderness and uh, 
just set the set Allison in motion um, with uh, the story starts out with um, uh, a body being discovered at near where the beginning of the wildfire is um, is torched um, is set off and uh, she follows the trail from there and happens to get tangled up in a whole bunch of anti-government uh, terrorists basically who um, really don't recognize authority as I said Yes, yes, I've heard of sovereigns. Um, I love metaphors, and Lake of Fire opens with this raging wildfire. Did you do this intentionally as a metaphor, Mark, for how the rest of the book would sear into the reader's mind? (laughs) Well, uh, I certainly thought that um, and I do, do think that if you've got strong atmosphere, and one thing that readers seems seem to have liked so far in the whole series is a strong sense of atmosphere um and and you know and the environment itself and the the setting itself is a i, I think a strong um factor in in all the stories and you know i just thought in the the, the wildfire burns throughout the book um that that would make for an interesting backdrop for the story and we have had month-long fires that burn in Colorado. We had one um, a while ago called the Heyman Fire, which burned um, basically all summer from down near Pikes Peak. It burned almost all the way up to the Denver metro area and rained ash on Denver for a while. Uh, many days were smoky and ashy, and it's it, it's happened before. It's going to happen again, and um, I wanted to tie in all the themes around climate change and kind of what better way to show the impact on on drought um, than the fact that once you get some of these um, intense wildfires going they are extremely hard to stop um, so yeah that was that was definitely on purpose i didn't i don't think i knew when i started writing the story that the fire would last throughout the whole book or how quickly the plot would get sort of resolved but um, that's the way it worked out Are you there? There you are. Hi, hi, Mark. I apologize. Uh, I had some battery issues with my phone. So let's uh, go back to the uh, last question about the book opening with the raging wildfire and as a metaphor and how, sure. if in fact, you did have that in mind. Sure. You want me to start over? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I knew that I wanted to um, deal with and touch on the issues around climate change, at least use that as the backdrop theme. And, um, you know, I, I Colorado has had some really nasty wildfires. We've had wildfires out here that have lasted for months in some cases, um, and they're just extremely hard to get a grip around or get your get the get get to the point where it's controlled and. I didn't know when I started writing Lake of Fire how long the actual fire would um, rage for, but it, it turned out that it's still burning throughout the entire book, and uh, that's very plausible. It happens out here all the time, and I, I knew that there's probably no better way to show the impact of climate change, which is extreme droughts. Um, and we've we've been through extreme droughts in Colorado before we're going to go through them again i think they're going to be personally i think they're going to be even worse than what we've experienced um but i i i I thought the heat and the fire would make for a strong environmental um, backdrop for the whole book yep 
very much, very much. One five-star Amazon review of Lake of Fire from Linda Chandler states in part, my book discussion group read and discussed Lake of Fire. We were honored to have the author, Mark Stevens, attend the group this afternoon. We were taken by his sincerity and insight into the making of this series of books. He made Allison come alive even more. The characters are developed so that you are able to know them. The amount of time spent researching had to be incredible to be able to make the descriptions come alive the way he does. Themes within the book are current and timely. Great review, Mark. How was that for you, sitting in a book discussion group and dissecting your story and characters? I love getting out and talking to readers in book clubs. Um, I did another one Isn't earlier this great? week. Yeah, <laughs> Isn't it's the that best. Great? <laughs> yeah, it's very. Um, it just really makes it real um, to get that kind of direct feedback. Um, to talk about characters and not only Allison Coyle but uh, other characters as well and just sort of get people's different analyses of, of what they see in these characters and how they well, how, whether they liked how they reacted to various um, challenges that come their way. I tell all my books from multiple points of view. So I have, sort right. of an, ensemble, I have an ensemble cast and you know there's other people to talk about as well um, in the stories and it's just uh, very, very gratifying, and and some readers, you know, they don't quite love it as much as that very kind review. But it's it's interesting to get into some very specific criticism of different characters and and hear people's thoughts on it. And I I welcome it. I really do. I it makes me a better writer. I think to think about what they're saying and try to incorporate um, a little bit of their thinking in the next book and just, you know, take it, you take it to heart. What I, you know, if you're producing art, why wouldn't you want feedback? Um, if you have a chance to, to make it better in the next book, I'm not going to go back and change any of the current books, but it's just, uh, it's, it, 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 it plants a little seed in your mind that you might be able to take advantage of and get better, which is what, what we're all trying to do. Uh, if one picture is worth a thousand words, then one book is probably worth about a hundred million words. Uh, I understand you and hear you yeah. loud and clear. One yeah, of the striking good. things the reviewer mentioned, Mark, was your research. How did you go about researching this intricate story, and how long did you spend researching this book? Well, that's a great question. I, I research um, constantly, I would say. I mean, I first of all, I do as much in-person uh, visits as, as I possibly can. I did a day-long ride-along with the Sheriff's Department in Rio Blanco County, which is um, where Meeker is for, for Lake of Fire. Um, I spent time with the Parks and Wildlife officers. Um, I've done ride-alongs with them to see how they deal with hunting camps. Um, I've gone horseback riding in the flat tops to take notes and take pictures and talk to guides. Um, I will jump on the phone or have lunch with lawyers and other experts on different topics. Um, you know, I, I'll put out emails to various groups tracking down some little bit of minor detail about um, – you know, maybe it's a horse-related question or a hunting-related question or something to do with weaponry. Um, you know, I really try to get as close to accurate as possible or plausible as possible. And I and if the if the details are 
as close as you can get them, um, you know, I think you're going to have a better chance of transporting that reader um, into that world because if they're an expert on that area and you are messing around with the facts, then if you give them a little reason to to trip and they go, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, then you've really lost a reader. So Exactly. Um, yeah, it's really um it's one of my highest priorities when I try to write when I when I write. Yep. Yes, Mark. The the wrong facts or a badly researched book can definitely ruin the whole story. So yep. let's talk let's talk about Mark Stevens the person. Legend has it that both of your parents were librarians, so you must have grew up hating books, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I grew up, lucky, lucky me, I grew up in a world of books and reading and right. um, just, you know, they were both interested in learning more about the world. They just loved learning, I think, more than anything, and that came through in books. They both had their master's in library science and really were developing a a lot of skills in the information organization area. More than anything, I, I, I attribute my parents to um, the fact that they, they, they only wanted the kids, us three boys, to grow up um, able to have discussions about anything and not take, um, you know, not not be completely one-sided. They wanted to, they wanted to raise three boys with open minds, I think, and um, be curious. And I, that was. To me, that's a powerful lesson, not not just raising kids to have a certain point of view about the world or force-feed them their point of view, but to just raise kids who understand how to access more information, better information, and and to filter what you, what you run into, not, to be able to bring a critical mind to the newspaper or magazine story or a documentary on television or, or anything, even fiction, to say, you know, what's good about this or what doesn't what doesn't quite work so well. So they were they were amazing. Excellent point. Excellent point about challenging what you read and, and, and what you hear. Excellent point. Yep. So you were born and raised on the East Coast. Uh, you went to college in the Midwest in Illinois, and you wind up in, in Colorado living there, as you said, for quite a bit of time, the flatlands. What, what, what is it about Colorado? that made you make this beautiful state your home? You know, the number one thing is is the mountains and the ability to get up high, like I said earlier, and see. Um, the I love a long, long horizon. Um, where I was raised in Massachusetts, the trees, you know, you could be in, inside a neighborhood. Yeah, you might get up on a rise here and there and be able to see a little ways. Um, but I just love being able to have a 75-mile view down to Pikes Peak from Denver or an 80-mile view north to Longs Peak out of, out of Denver to the north. Um, and I think just, you know, once you've experienced the mountains and, you know, sat up at a cabin on a beautiful uh, summer or fall day um, with uh, cool air and, uh, you know, wildlife, it's just there's something really, really special about Colorado um, that, I, I think really can take your breath away, and and it's just spectacular. And on top of that, Denver is a real f- friendly city, and uh, um, it's just uh, a very welcoming, friendly city in a beautiful state. So can't say enough about it. 
Yeah, I, I know somebody, and I know someone in Denver, and and they say the same thing. So, Mark, let's talk a little bit about the state of book publishing. I know there was a time between your first and second book where you switched publishers. Talk about right. the process of what caused this to happen. Well, unfortunately, my first publisher went out of business, um, and I have, you know, one of many, many, many publishers out there that made a go of it. Um, People's Press out of Aspen was a fine company uh, owned and run by George Stranahan, a great guy, um, but just not seeing the return that he wanted, and he he shut it down. Um, so. Right. And, you know, very fortunately, you know, I was in a situation where this excellent company out of Minnesota, Midnight Inc., offered offered me a two-book deal, which um, it was fantastic. And, you know, it's a I, I have lots of friends in the publishing world. It's just a topsy-turvy, uh, very challenging business, I think, at all levels. I've got friends who are yes. being published by, by big New York houses, but they, they don't get that much support they get they get the brand of a beautiful publishing house like a Simon and Schuster or something like that which is great um but they basically have to get out there and hustle just as much as everybody else to find readers i mean it's just raining raining books out there and um it is, it is, <laughs> to put it, it is, mildly to put it mildly it's put it stand at the bottom of Niagara Falls and if that's how many books are coming at you on any given week or day and if you are um if you have a shortage of things to read then you're not paying attention because it's just endless out there and and that's wonderful i i i always come down on the side that it's great that writers have vehicles to get their works out there and god knows there are some wonderful books that have found their audience without having to go through that new york um you know, that New York action, all that very challenging and highly competitive, um, you know, all that stuff that goes into trying to get a New York publisher behind you. And some people have now with all these um, publishing and independent publishing tools can step out and um, publish their works and find enormous audiences and um, make lots of money by um, getting out there and doing it yourself, which is, I think, just fantastic. But in the in the process, it creates a very crowded market where, um, you know, you're competing with so many thousands of other writers for readers' time. And most readers are only reading one or two books at a time, and most readers are, um, you know, maybe reading one or two, maybe three books a month. And um, there are lots and lots of uh, folks out there who don't read at all, but it's um, it's a it's a you know, you just have to get out there, and I think, and just take every opportunity you can come up with to, whether it's a eight people at a book club on a Tuesday afternoon at a, at a library, or a friend of a friend who says, "Will you come to our house and chat with our our book club?" Or maybe it's a talk at the library. But you just got to get out there and do what you can to meet readers and um, introduce them to your to your work. It's um, you can't sit home and expect that the world's going to discover you. I think that's my, that's the bottom line. You're so right. And not only um, is the publishing of books different, but, Mark, the way that we are reading books is different as well. 
Now, mm-hmm. kids are reading books on their phones. Kids are reading stories on their Kindles, their iPads. That's the other thing. The, the, the way books are transforming how we read, it's the way these devices are transforming. But back to what you're saying about marketing. Mark, so many, especially new authors, think that once they've written their book and, and put it out there, whether it be on Smashwords as an e-book or even as a regular uh, book uh, in Barnes & Noble stores or whatever, they think that their work is done. But, Mark, that's when the work begins. The marketing process now is so important, as you just alluded to. Wouldn't you say? Oh, my gosh, it's so true. Um, you know, uh, I I would just challenge the uh, person who thinks that, the writer, to just take a look at the inventory that's available for any um, any reader out there. They, they're bombarded with um, possibilities. And how is how is the reading community going to discover your book, um, you know, without some energy behind it, without some plan? I think it's it's so important to have a plan to um, how are you going to um, reach readers? How are you going to get people, other people to talk about your book? How are you going to invite and build a community around your characters and around your books? How are you going to make friends? I, I, I think if you're writing a book, and this is an idea that I don't own this idea. I was just talking with a friend um, earlier this week, and she talked about the idea of being a literary citizen, that if you're a if you're a writer, you also owe it to your fellow writers to um, promote their work, to read their work, to review their work, to right. discuss their work, and build build up um, folks who you know, maybe not owe you a favor but are more likely to also help you spread the word about your titles into their communities. And um, that's not something you can do at the last minute, a week before your book comes out. That's sort of an approach you have to take for years and years, um, becoming part of the literary community. And yes, you're not just trying to get other writers to read your books. You're trying to get readers, but Every writer, every bookstore owner, every library um, uh, director, book club organizers, um, you know, everybody knows those readers. And it's your what you're trying to do is just build up your um, the, the, the you're trying to build up your visibility within the writing and reading community. And you have to be an active, I think, participant Um Yes, is it possible to write an unbelievable novel, put it out there, and have the world discover it? Yes, it does happen. I would say it's about one in a million chance without without right. a plan, without a plan, right. without a marketing concept, without devoting some time and some uh, energy to getting um, getting that getting what you've done. You've put so much work into writing your book. Why wouldn't you also get out there and? Um, simply try to see if you can get to some bookstores or some library talks and and present it. I think it's I think it's just part of the deal. So, let's wrap up the show by okay. by delving into what's next for Mark Stevens. I know you mentioned the fifth book in the Allison Coyle. Uh what other irons do you have in the fire? Well, um, yeah, the fifth book is uh, coming down the home stretch on the fifth draft, on the first draft, I mean, not the fifth. Um, first draft, uh, just filed some short stories, uh, sold some short stories to uh, 
terrific local publisher called Hex Publishing that should be out in 2017, working on a short story for the uh, new RMFW Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers Anthology, which is due in January. I'm working on a short story to submit to them. Um, but really just trying to – my main fiction effort is around uh, – tightening up and uh, improving this uh, first draft of, of the fifth book. And um, that's that's where I'm pouring my energy right now and not trying to look too far ahead. Okay. Sounds like a, a good plan. So give out, <laughs> any, give out any websites, Mark, that you have, uh, contact information, uh, if someone wants to contact you and give out any way that you can be contacting any social network groups that you're on. Sure. Um, so my website is writermarkstevens.com, writermarkstevens.com, and my contact information is on there. My There's an email form. Um, I'd love to hear from anybody. I'm on Twitter at writerstevens, and uh, there's a Facebook page for the Allison Coyle Mystery Series, and it's just Allison Coyle Mysteries. Um, that'll pull up the page for her character. But again, if anybody wants to uh, contact me, feel free um, to drop by my webpage, writermarkstevens.com, and fill out the contact form, and that email comes straight to me. That is fantastic. So um, this has been the Funky, Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm an author, author, R. Batista on Twitter. My guest has been the prolific mystery author, Mark Stevens. Make sure you get his newest book, Lake of Fire, an Allison Coral mystery. Thank you so much, Mark, for being a guest on the Funky Writers Show. Thank you. Take care, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye, Robert.